All right. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of This Show is All About You, a show about all the ways in which you and me connect as we and what that means for all of us. I'm your host, J.D.K. Winnikin. You can find out more about me at wordsbyjdk.com, my website, and on my social media feeds at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, Welcome to episode number 44 of this show for November 8th. 2021. And the title of today's uh, show is In the Common Purpose. In the Common Purpose. It's actually a quote from President Dwight D. Eisenhower from a proclamation he made in October of 1954, uh, proclaiming the creation of Veterans Day, which we are celebrating this this week on November 11th. And so uh, today's show is going to be based on that, uh, branching off of that a little bit. Uh, But that's where it comes from, in the common purpose. And the haiku uh, for today, to kind of set the tone for what we'll be talking about, goes like this. Service in the name of nation, ideals, or home is a gift to all. Service in the name of nation, ideals, or home is a gift to all. So before we dive into talking about that, I'd like to make sure I once again thank our amazing sponsor of the show, Airway Science for Kids which is a nonprofit based down in the Portland, Oregon area that provides life and career pathways to underserved youth uh, via opportunities in aerospace and aviation. And they do so with a whole host of programs that they do, both in person and virtual. They also do so by facilitating a lot of different connections and relationships uh, with corporate entities, with educational institutions, uh, with other nonprofits, uh, you name it. It's an organization meant to help underserved youth find their way through aviation and aerospace to becoming a better person overall and helping improve their communities uh, and improve their families, you name it. It's a very holistic approach to what they do. They have a lot of fun and they're innovative and they're really, really smart. If you'd like to know more about them, you can check them out at their website, airsci.org, A-I-R-S-C-I.org. Or you can email them directly to find out more information at info at airsci.org. <laughs> so thanks again to Airway Science for Kids. All right. So last week, uh, we I talked about the coming of the holiday season and spent a lot of time discussing sort of the expectations that we feel upon us, how certain things are supposed to go, the weight of traditions or uh, the shoulds of everything, you know, um, How's, how's Thanksgiving dinner going to go? How's visit with Crazy Uncle Jack going to go? Whatever it might be. And I got a lot of really positive feedback uh, to that episode. And so I decided that with all the different holidays that are going on this month, maybe to just kind of continue in that vein. And it seemed effective <laughs> in that sense to really uh, focus on uh, Veterans Day, on what's coming up. And so the larger picture here will be talking about why we choose slash celebrate, commemorate the holidays that we do have, why we do them a certain way, and what that all means for us individually and collectively. And as I was thinking about it during the week, kind of came to a general conclusion. We have, in this country at least, we have two types of holidays, it seems to me. Ones that are commemorative, like Veterans Day. We commemorate veterans. Memorial Day is a commemorative uh, holiday where we remember those who have died in, in service of this country. And then we have the celebratory ones, which celebrate certain things. Uh, Christmas is one of those. Um, And then we have ones that kind of blend both. And the ones that tend to blend both commemorative and celebratory, sometimes are the ones that feel a little weird or wonky or sometimes have some controversy that 
come into them. Thanksgiving is one of them, right? We celebrate giving thanks, but it's also supposed to be commemorative of right, Plymouth and, you know, the pilgrims and Native Americans and all that. Um, Fourth of July is another one, right? It's commemorative of the Declaration of Independence, uh, but it's also something that we celebrate with fireworks and hot dogs and baseball and, and all those types of things. Uh, and yet those are two holidays that when they come up, inevitably there's conversations that happen uh, and cynicism and negativity and arguments over the historical roots of them, how fair are they, how equal are they. Those are things that happen quite a bit. Um, but So we'll talk about that as we continue going through the holiday season a little bit more. Uh, but today I want to talk a little bit about Veterans Day uh, and some things around that. And with that, as with all holidays, I think one of the things that I like to push with these things is, first of all, I think it's important to know why we celebrate what we celebrate, and then also to be willing to grow in why (laughs) we celebrate uh, the way we do. Because holidays are really malleable. Our traditions are malleable. Why we hold them to be important is malleable. It changes over time. The way we celebrate these things today is not the same way we celebrated them 50 years ago or 100 years ago or 200 years ago, if the holidays in question even existed back that far. And so while we tend to take our holidays and say we're commemorating the past or we're honoring tradition, they're actually really anchored in a lot of our present concerns, our present practices, and our present preferences. It's just how it happens a lot of times. And that's not a problem necessarily unless we make it one. But with Veterans Day, it's such an interesting one. Established in 1954, as I said, by President Eisenhower, as a way to honor veterans of World War II and World War I, of which there were still plenty at the time. And it was meant to honor them and current and then later military members for their service. And it was in that that he said that this was something in the common purpose of all Americans. And so he established that date, and it's been on November 11th ever since. Now, historically speaking, it made sense. If anybody was going to do this, it was going to be President Eisenhower. In part of his own history, he, of course, is one of the great heroes of the Second World War as the supreme allied commander of all allied forces in Europe. Uh, And also, in part, because of when he was president in the midst of the growing Cold War, where the role of the military, the visibility of the military was increasing in prominence during that period because of the nature of the conflict with the Soviet Union. And so because of that, makes sense that he would advocate this and put it forward and that Americans would embrace it the way they have over the past, what is it now, almost 70 years. Now, November 11th already, though, was a larger international holiday because November 11th in most other areas of the world, particularly in the areas that fought in World War I, is known as Armistice Day. It's the day commemorating 1918, the end of the so-called Great War, which after there was a second one came to be called World War I. But this was a much easier day in in some ways to make sense of because it was honoring the end of the bloodiest slaughter in human history up until that point. Unfortunately, World War II would be worse. And, of course, it was also commemorating not just those who had fallen, but almost giving a celebrating a big sigh of relief, if celebration is the right word, that nobody else was going to have to go and die in this thing. And so it was meant to honor what was lost in the war and then, therefore, as a result, to value what had been kept and protected as a result. Now, I I had an experience a couple years ago where I was up in Canada, uh, and it happened to be Armistice Day. I was up there with a friend of mine going to a Canadian football league game. Yeah, he and I like to do that. 
and I know he's listening. So hi, Seth. Let's do that again soon now that the Canadian border is open again. <laughs> uh, but we were up there and they did a Armistice Day commemoration where they had the full bagpipe corps of you know, Canadian military brought out onto the field at halftime, uh, along with military vehicles and that type of thing, and veterans of uh, various wars that Canada has participated in. And then all the bagpipes played Amazing Grace. Right? And, I mean, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. How could there be? Um, and that was something that felt a little different. Veterans Day here is different in that the focus is on the living veterans of the armed forces that are still here. We honor the dead who have died in the nation's war on Memorial Day. And so rather than that one thing, like on Armistice Day, that everybody can kind of come to uh, and focus on the end of the war and reflecting on what that meant, Veterans Day is interesting in that it commemorates a group of people that all have very different reactions to it. Uh, I know a lot of veterans from a lot of wars and some who have simply served and never fought in combat. And I have yet to meet one who has the same opinion about Veterans Day. Some uh, are very appreciative of the recognition that what they did was important and of that service. Uh, uh, and I think they all are, generally, on some level. But I have others who are very, no, others who are very uncomfortable with the idea. Uh, and I'll talk about a story of one in particular here. I've also been, in various jobs I've been a part of, responsible for putting together Veterans Day ceremonies. We're getting speakers to speak at them. And, and every single one of those I have done, the guest speaker who's come in has said something like the following, the first thing when they're speaking to the, the gathered uh, crowd, something along the lines of, quote, I am both honored to be here and feel wholly inadequate to speak for all veterans, so I can and will only speak about my own experience and what Veterans Day means to me. And that is something that has really sat with me. And... There's a lot of reasons for that. And I think the best way, rather than try and put a big blanket statement over Veterans Day, uh, which wouldn't be useful, wouldn't be fair, uh, wouldn't be accurate, uh, and frankly, I think I'd be out of bounds in doing so, I figured I would just talk about the veterans that I know best, uh, two in particular, that are no longer with us. And, and that's my grandfather and my grandmother, my maternal grandfather and maternal grandmother, uh, Don and Magdalene Secor were their names. Uh, they both passed on now, but both were veterans, the Second World War. And uh, I'd like to tell you a little bit about their story a little bit as a way of kind of illustrating this. So uh, go with me down memory lane here and to a little bit of personal history connected to larger history and, and see what you think. Uh, I should say from the outset, my, my grandfather didn't talk about his experience in the war. Both he and my grandmother were in the Marine Corps. And yes, my grandmother was in the Marine Corps. She was one of the, one of the few female Marines uh, that existed at the time. In fact, they were given the nickname BAMS. I can't repeat what that stands for on live radio, but nevertheless, she was enormously proud of being a Marine. It was her whole life. My grandfather was too. But my grandfather, of course, was trained in the Marines to go into combat in the Second World War. And because it was the Marines, it was going to be in the Pacific. That's where the Marines did the bulk of the fighting uh, for the U.S. Uh, was the Marine Corps in the Pacific. Now, my grandfather very rarely talked about the war to anybody, but he talked to me. And it started when I was about six years old. Uh, I've, I've mentioned on this show before that uh, when I was six, my dad took me to Pearl Harbor for the first time. And when I connected that what I saw there was the same war that my grandfather had fought in, I became immensely interested. And plus the fact that I loved airplanes, 
And my grandfather in the Marine Corps was a crew chief, means the chief mechanic, on Marine fighter planes, the F4U Corsair, just got me that much more excited to talk to my grandfather. And I was six. I didn't have any understanding of, of the trauma and the pain involved in what my grandfather had experienced, that he might not want to talk about it. And I think because he didn't want to try to explain that to his eager six-year-old grandson, uh, just decided he would just tell me stories. And so he did this for my entire life. And I remember several times him telling me stories when I was older where my grandfather or grandmother and my mother were sitting in the other room and I could actually see them out of the corner of my eye. And he's telling me stories and I could tell by the looks on their faces that they'd never heard these stories themselves. And he had some, he had some pretty harrowing ones. But when it came to Veterans Day, he said to me once when I, I mentioned to him, hey, uh, Grandpa, happy Veterans Day. I think I, said that's, I think I said that to him, happy Veterans Day. <laughs> you know, I was a dumb kid. But <laughs> what he said to me was uh, all, it, all that day really did for him, he told me at the time, was that it all reminded him of all his friends that never did return home. As he put it, quote, all this day reminds me of is those that we remember on Memorial Day. Now, I think he did appreciate uh, recognition of his service. I think he did. Uh, but it was a harder thing for him. My grandfather was from Kenosha, Wisconsin. He was the oldest son of a farmer who had served in World War I, Swedish by background, along with a mix of other things. And my grandmother grew up not very far from him on the south side of Chicago in the old Irish neighborhood. She was a fire-breathing Irish, uh, daughter of immigrants who'd come over from Ireland. And so they were an interesting match. And they met, once they were in the Marines, uh, down at the Marine Air Station in El Toro, California, in Southern California, south of Los Angeles now. And like I said, my grandfather was trained to be a mechanic. And uh, my grandmother uh, became a receptionist, typist, filer, that type of thing. And the idea of having uh, female Marines was that so that they could take care of the administrative, uh, logistical elements of the Corps while the men could go and fight. Now, my grandfather ended up shipping out late in the war, late 1944. And he was a first, his first assignment was uh, the aftermath of the operation at Iwo Jima which happened in February of 1945 and was up until that point uh, one of the bloodiest days or bloodiest campaigns in the history of the U.S. Marine Corps. A number of Marines were killed on a volcanic rock with no vegetation and uh, really rough going. Now, he didn't see it until after the, the island had been secured and his job was to go ashore, work the airfield where the fighter planes were landing, repair them so that they could then fly up uh, into the air and escort B-29 bombers that were flying to bomb Japan. So that was that was his job. There are also those fighters he was working on. They were also uh, hunting down and, and shooting down uh, Japanese kamikaze planes. Those were the suicide pilot planes that were being intentionally crashed into U.S. ships. So his job was to keep those planes in the air. And it wasn't easy going, particularly at Iwo Jima, which is all sand and dirt. And uh, you might know that keeping engines clear of sand and dirt is pretty important. <laughs> so it was a lot of work uh, for him, as he as he remembered. Uh, but the first time he was ever involved in anything resembling combat came in March of 1945, the next month after March and April, excuse me, of in April when the Marines landed at Okinawa, another island closer to Japan, part of the larger island hopping campaign that American forces were taking to get close to Japan and Okinawa was part of the southernmost uh, part of the Japanese island chain. So this was a big deal. And the Marines and the Army split taking the island. And the Marines 
uh, captured their section pretty quickly. The army had to struggle for a while. The Marines had to go help them. And when that happened, it turned into one of the bloodiest battles of the entire war. My grandfather came ashore, as he had at Iwo Jima, to an airfield uh, that had been secured, the main one there from, from the Japanese first. And so they were rebuilding it. And my grandfather landed in a troop ship, just like everybody else did, one of, one of those troop landers. And he walked ashore, and he said, he told me later, that he hadn't walked three steps onto the shore at Okinawa when three kamikaze planes came roaring overhead and just in a row hit the airstrip, crashed themselves into the airstrip, essentially trying to shut down the airstrip uh, and burn as much as possible. And my grandfather said he, they took cover, and as soon as they saw that the raid was over, they stood up and watched, and the thing was forces that had been there a while were so used to this that the Army Corps of Engineers, which was just sitting off in their bulldozers off to the side of the, of the airstrip, just simply put down their heat shields on their bulldozers, pushed these three piles of wreckage of these airplanes off to a corner of the airfield and let them burn, and, <laughs> and then uh, essentially patched up the runway. And it was a delay of 12 minutes before the runway was available again. And my grandfather remembers as he looked at the pile of burning aircraft and saw a human arm sticking out on the top of it on fire, that three human beings had died for a 12-minute delay and an airfield that had long been secured. And he remembered thinking, what a waste of life. And it also scared him to death um, because it was as close as he had been to combat up until that point. Uh, later on, while at Okinawa, uh, his group was ambushed by a sniper in a tree. My grandfather, a, who was trained as a sharpshooter, uh, managed to kill that soldier that was hiding in a tree. And not long after that, in the middle of the night, when my grandfather was in a, went into a supply tent to get some supplies for an aircraft he was working on, and he had a big propeller wrench in his hand, he was attacked by a, an emaciated Japanese soldier. The, the, the island had already been secured, but the soldier had snuck in to the perimeter and was probably rummaging around for food. And the soldier attacked him. And my grandfather, just on instinct, swung the only thing he had, which was the wrench. And he hit this soldier and killed him. And when he told me this story, my grandfather said, you know, he attacked me. It was a response, you know, that type of thing. And so he knew that it was something that he had needed to do. Uh, but it was hard for him, you know. And so he told that story, you know, which, which was powerful for me to hear. Um, and after he died in 2007... We found out that all, something that none of us knew, that the Marines had taught him how to fly the very planes he was repairing. It was a good way to make sure that their, air, that their repair crews did a good job. <laughs> you know, he had to go fly them. And the man hated to fly. He hated flying. Now I understand why a little bit more. Now it was difficult for him to send pilots out in the planes he was in and then have some of them not come back. Or to pull guys out of the cockpit who had been shot up or burned uh, or were barely alive or some combination of all that. And that happened to him on... on regular basis. My grandfather was still at Okinawa, but getting ready to transfer to a new base uh, in August of 1945 when the atomic bombs were dropped on Japan and effectively ended the, ended the war. He and my grandmother, who was back at home, still at El Toro, uh, pregnant with my mom, or actually she'd been born by then. By the time the atomic bombs were dropped, my mom was two months old. But my grandmother said she never doubted the rightness of dropping the atomic bomb. Um, for her, it was decidedly personal. She was convinced that had the invasion of Japan gone forward, had the atomic bombs not been used, that my grandfather would have been killed. And as she put it, uh, my mom would have grown up never meeting her father and would have been an only child. And that didn't happen. My grandfather came home from the war, and he and my grandmother and their infant daughter, my mom, 
moved to Barstow, California, in the middle of the desert, and my grandfather eventually became a milk truck driver and then the supervisor at a dairy distribution center. My grandmother became a receptionist at the local high school. And they had three more kids, my aunt and my two uncles. And my mom was the first um, in the family to go to college. And so by the time I came along, you know, my grandparents' years were long behind them. But as I said, I was always really conscious uh, of that from about age six. And at the time, we lived in Hawaii, as I've mentioned before. And my grandparents would come and visit every year. And I knew that my grandfather had been affected by the war but the, the way I saw that most visibly at the time wasn't so much by the visceral stories he told. Those got more and more vivid as I got older. But I could tell he wasn't comfortable around the Japanese in Hawaii, and of which there are a lot in Hawaii, um, including, as it turns out, uh, my best friend's dad growing up is Japanese. And, uh, but it served in the U.S. Army in the era of Vietnam. And I remember very clearly one time when my grandparents were visiting, we went to my best friend's family's house for dinner. And I remember wondering, how was it going to be? I think I was eight or nine. I was wondering how it was going to be when my grandfather met my best friend's dad because he was Japanese. How was that going to go? And my best friend's dad, Mark, walked right up to my grandfather. I'll never forget it. Held out his hand, introduced himself, told him what unit Mark had served in in the Army, asked what unit he'd served in in the Marine Corps. And that was the last I saw my my grandfather or Mark for the rest of the night because they went and sat and talked uh, deep into the night. My grandfather told me later, years later, that this was the first Japanese person he had ever actually talked to. And it softened him. Uh, my grandfather had had nightmares like many veterans uh, have had in the years after the war. He even had a few uh, when I was in high school and college when he would be visiting and he'd get up in the middle of the night and I could tell that it bothered him. But it had softened him meeting someone. It helped him give up a few things. He, I remember my grandfather also telling me that he worried about me joining the military if I wanted to because he didn't want me to get hurt. He also wasn't sure he trusted decision makers in Washington to send me somewhere that was worth fighting for, which was a lot like him. He also wondered out loud with a big smile on his face if I was someone who could actually take orders. <laughs> and, and nope, I was not. And so Grandpa was pretty smart on that. So I never joined uh, the military, but I became a historian of his era and of the war and its aftermath even though I ended up focusing more on what was happening in Europe, my roots of that in my life go back to him and my grandmother and their experience um, as veterans. And I remember, so on Veterans Day, even today, even though they're both, they've both been passed away for a while now, I think of them and I remember that they felt best honored by knowing they were appreciated, but not that a big deal was going to be made out of it. So to me, that's how I always tend to think about it, right? Is, is, so that's what I would put in front of all of us. Who are the veterans that you know personally, not veterans and mass, right? What do they prefer? What could you say or do for them or barring that for vets themselves? We all know that veterans still need services uh, well after the fact, after they leave the military. The VA, of course, is legendary for having a number of problems. And some say that it is improving, but it does seem to need constant lobbying to do so. So maybe you can be a part of that. If, if serving veterans is something that's important. Or you could volunteer or give to Disabled American Veterans, the DAV, an organization that fights really hard for veterans who have been wounded in combat. There's organizations like Wounded Warriors, or Stop Soldier Suicide, all of which can use resources and support. Um, 
And of course, appreciation of service, no matter its source or result, can be a gift of commemoration as well. And of course, individually, we can all invest in what vets have helped defend. All the things about our lives that we value. All the things that sometimes we end up taking for granted. And sometimes the quality of service that we've received is what's allowed us to take it for granted because they haven't always felt at threat. So this Veterans Day, I would really encourage all of us to make it a really personal one. You know, the big commemorations that we see at things like NFL you know, games over the weekend or uh, parades or things like that, those are all well and good. But I think the most meaningful elements for Veterans Day are when we can connect with individual, individual veterans themselves. Think of the ones that we know and love. Think about what they've gone through. Think about what the, how they most enjoy feeling appreciated, if they do at all. And then supporting those organizations that can support them. If we aren't veterans, we can't necessarily uh, empathize with what veterans have been through. But we can certainly recognize that they have been through things. And what are the ways in which we can help them, even if it's something as simple as a card, a kind statement, giving to an organization anonymously that they work with, whatever it might be. To me, that can often be the most meaningful way to celebrate and commemorate not just this holiday, but any holiday. Because in the end, the holidays themselves, whatever they are, really don't exist in a vacuum. They are about people. They are always about commemorating a person, celebrating a person or an event or something that brings us together. And it's that togetherness where we really connect. So this Veterans Day, for any veterans that you know, thank you for your service. For any veterans that are listening, thank you, of course, for your service. And thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of This Show is All About You. I'm your host, J.D.K. Winnikin. I appreciate you spending some time with me. Come on back next week for more discussions of holidays and such, whatever it is I feel like talking about. And until then, as always, chins up, everyone. Mm-hmm.